A great pleasure to welcome to What's Next, Rafe Pilling, who is the security researcher at SecureWorks Counter Threat Unit. Uh, something, uh, a topic I'm very passionate about, and uh, we're living in some very interesting times. Rafe, firstly, a good morning to you, and thank you for joining us. Where are you joining us from? Good morning. Uh, it's great to be here. I'm coming in from Edinburgh, Scotland. Oh, fantastic. Well, we had some wonderful visuals from uh, Edinburgh uh, with, the, with the Queen's funeral the last few days. It's been quite an extraordinary event, uh, just witnessing this historical event. Um, and I guess that uh, on the backdrop of that, we're witnessing something else historically, and this is the cybersecurity threats that we're seeing at unprecedented levels. But before we go anywhere, Rafe, do introduce, us, uh, introduce yourself to us and tell us a little bit about SecureWorks and what you do at SecureWorks. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm a um, principal researcher with the uh, SecureWorks kind of threat unit in the threat research team. I've been with the company about 16 years now. I started out as a uh, SOC analyst, um, moved up through our sort of professional services group. I've done penetration testing, sort of red teaming uh, type activity, additional forensics, into response. For a couple of years, I was a, a PCI DSS QSA, so doing more on the sort of auditing side, working with um, companies trying to sort of protect financial information, particularly payment card data, uh, yeah. and comply with the PCI DSS standard. And then about um, uh, maybe 10 years ago now, moved into the counter threat unit, and the counter threat unit's focus is um, producing countermeasures and threat intelligence to, to support our, our customers and our platforms. We have the, um, well, we are uh, a cloud services provider. Essentially, we provide the, the Tejas XDR platform. So the, the group that I'm in provides a function that develops countermeasures for our endpoint technologies, our network technologies, and the, the XDR platform, as well as uh, threat intelligence reporting on a wide range of threats, everything from sort of ransomware, business email compromise, a wide range of cybercrime activities, uh, and sort of nation state uh, related uh, activity, APT type groups, that kind of thing. Wow, that, uh, that is uh, some portfolio. I'm excited to be talking to you because it's something I'm very passionate about. Um, and when you look at where we are right now, and I was looking at some research that was conducted, and you look at the reports that, you know, the big insurance companies globally that insure against various threats in an organization, they're saying that cyber threats are the number one biggest global threat to business today um and when you look at the last two years i mean we've just seen this exponential increase and i look at not only here in south africa but just globally you look at the uh, you know the threats i mean i even see that uber was hacked just recently um and some information was stolen there thankfully it wasn't personal customer information but it's 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 a war out there and um, i wonder if you could describe the size and the shape of the cyber threat landscape and and what are companies up against it it's it's horrific what's going on out there i absolutely agree so it, it certainly feels like in the i know since the sort of 20 2012 time frame when i kind of moved into um the threat intelligence side of the business that we have seen a significant uptick in in the number of sort of cyber intrusions uh the the impact to customers or the impact of businesses as a result of those um, and, and yeah absolutely the scale of the issue both on the the criminal side and the the nation state side you've got you know more more countries getting involved in um, more offensive cyber activity or, or cyber activity for sort of espionage purposes as well um, I think than, than we had 10 years ago um, 
And yeah, definitely on the, I mean, ransomware is obviously the one of the highest impact crimes that, that we have seen. Uh, and there has been an explosion since, I would say, you know, 2015, 2016, it was very much a sort of um, threat access would take a spray and pray type approach. So malware might be de- delivered by email. You, a company might end up with one or two systems um, encrypted, which was definitely an inconvenience and it was a bit of a shock at the time. It was you know, much more visible cybercrime than some of the other kind of malware or fraud related things that were happening. Um, but that quickly became a, an issue where instead of trying to hit a large number of companies for a, a small number of systems, um, the model changed where criminals would, would dive deep into an organization and encrypt as many systems as possible and, and kind of maximize the leverage that they had there. And, and that's that model has then sort of perpetuated that, that success in the um, cybercrime space has bred more more success, more people trying to come into that space and, and take advantage there. Uh, and you've got criminals, you know, operating from around the globe. There's a lot of Russian speaking actors, but we see sort of um, criminal groups based in uh, various African countries uh, across the Middle East. Um, you know, I, I myself sort of specialize in uh, Middle Eastern threats and recently covered a, an Iranian ransomware group. So there's lots of different, um, lots of different groups getting in on this uh, action. And uh, customers often ask us, you know, who is being targeted? And the reality is, if you are on the internet and you make money, then, uh, then you know, you're in the frame for uh, for being targeted by by these sort of groups. It's quite extraordinary what's going on out there. Of course, um, you know, when you talk about ransomware, you know, the the numbers that are being spoken about out there is just the numbers that we are hearing of where companies are actually talking about it. And um, I don't know what your sense on it on this is, but most of the ransomware money that's paid is we don't hear about it, right? Companies keep that hush hush. There's certainly, um, I mean, we, we track, for example, groups that that have uh, publicly accessible leak sites. So part of part of their, their operation, part of the way they get leverage is to take data from these organizations in addition to encrypting their systems, that data is placed on these, these leak sites. Those breaches are publicized. Um, now, sometimes if you if a victim pays early, for example, they may not have their data placed on their site. They may not be publicized. And some groups have claimed, for example, that they're doing you know for every one victim they publish on uh, the leak site, there may be one or two that they're not publishing. So that that is you know what we're seeing in the via those leak sites is only a, a, a fraction, maybe it's half, maybe it's a third, uh, maybe it's even less of the, the total victim count. And yeah, the, 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 the ransoms are anything from tens of thousands of dollars to hundreds or even millions of dollars in some cases. Wow, it's extraordinary. Now, Rafe, a lot of people, and you know, we, I've attended a couple of conferences recently, and both political, industrial leaders, you know, you'll hear, you know, corporate CEOs and CTOs, they will say that one of the biggest problems is the lack of cybersecurity skills. And that's part of the problem that there aren't enough professionals to be able to be employed by organizations and really be part of the cybersecurity war. Uh, is that a fair assessment? I mean, what's your take on that? Is, and, and, and you just look at the vacant jobs in the cybersecurity sector and you can see that the, it, there is clearly a big problem with skills. I think that that's absolutely true. I mean, some, some people push back on this argument, but I think it is fair to say that more organizations are more aware that they need cybersecurity skills within the business. Uh, there's also a, a sort of a diverse range of systems that they have to um, they have to secure within their business, and so finding people with the skills in those technologies can be difficult. Uh, can also be expensive having you know specialists in all these these different sort of technology areas. 
Um, and it's also, I think, they're looking for experienced people as well. There's, there's lots of people, uh, lots of keen individuals sort of spending a lot of time studying, getting into the cybersecurity sector, which is great. Mm. Um, but at the same time, that, that kind of experience and that depth of experience can be in short supply and hard to find. I think that's one of the things that at SecureWorks that we can help organizations with is that we, we have people with those experiences and a lot of different security technologies and a lot of different areas of, of sort of security um, services and processes that people need. And so people, rather than having to hire those, uh, some of those expensive resources themselves, they can hire a smaller security team that can, can respond to incidents. And we can handle a lot of the, the security monitoring, the malware reverse engineering, threat intelligence, um, sort of red teaming or, or incident response type services. And they can buy small slices of people essentially um, through through services that we provide and, and through the platform. So that's how we we try and sort of help alleviate that issue. But it's, yeah, it definitely is an issue. It's not just an issue on our side, fortunately. So one of the things that we see with um, some of the criminal groups is that that they are, um, they're also kind of limited by, you know, uh, the number of people they can hire to, um, to conduct some of these operations. So we, when we look at the growth of some of these um, these ransomware attacks, the growth tends to be somewhat linear because they have to they need people on their side to conduct the intrusions, to distribute the ransomware, to handle the um, the ransomware negotiations and, and that kind of thing. And so they they also are trying to hire the best people they can in in that kind of cybercrime market. Um, and there's a lot of you know issues with that. There's trust issues. There's issues contacting the right people. So. Fortunately, they can't scale exponentially, um, and you know that that is some some benefit to the the defender side is that you know they have similar issues on the on the sort of criminal criminal end of things. But um, yeah, definitely the skills skill shortage is an, is an issue. Now we often hear about AI playing a really big role as a solution to cybersecurity, and of course. AI together with machine learning, um, there's a lot of hype around this that saying that, you know, this will help solve a lot of your security problems. Uh, do you believe in that? I mean, does, does AI and machine learning have a big role to play in this? I think it has, it certainly has a role to play in it. So this is, this is one of the ways that we can help compensate for um, the, our inability to sort of scale up experienced security professionals, for example. Uh, there will always be more security events, more security alerts, more logs, um, then we have people to review those. And so, you know, one of the things we do within SecureWorks, within the Tejas platform is leverage artificial intelligence and machine learning to take, um, take sort of judgments and um, decisions that, that human analysts have made or, or that we've learned through threat intelligence research and, and amplify that through, you know, to be able to scale that up to a much, a much larger scale uh, and apply that across all the sort of telemetry streams that we have. So, um, it's that combination of kind of human intelligence and, and machine learning uh, that can lead to a really powerful outcome, uh, whether it's, and one of the issues is that it's really easy to develop, um, you know, a machine learning based uh, analytic or, or model that will throw up, um, will throw up anomalies. But yes. people, you know, analysts don't have time to constantly investigate these long, long streams of, uh, of anomalies within organizations. And lots of enterprise organizations are just, Full of anomalous activity, it's been able to differentiate the malicious activity from the the non-malicious activity, and that's where our kind of depth of experience, our visibility into the threat landscape, allows us to to know how to make those differentiations and make sure that our models are tuned to identify those malicious acts um, rather than just weird things happening in networks. Great, great, great points there. 
when you look at where companies are today, how can companies actually fight this battle that we're talking about? How do they level up their security capabilities? And of course, bearing in mind that it's now becoming a costly exercise. Um, and sometimes you, you, know, you speak to CIOs and CTOs and you know, all the C-suite people and saying, look, we, we, we haven't budgeted additional budget for cybersecurity because it just seems to be on an increase. So, so, so how, do, how do organizations fight this with limited budgets? And I know that they've got to take this seriously and they've got to go throw money at the problem. But, uh, you know, is that such a thing that you can do this um, with a limited budget? And I guess it's also an open-ended question, but how, how, do, how do organizations fight this uh, with, with the limited budgets that they have? What, what, what advice do you give to companies who want to level up their cybersecurity capabilities? So... One of the things we certainly talk to companies about is it's not about being being perfect. It's about being being a hard target, either a hard target to compromise or or once a threat actor is inside the environment, being a being a hostile environment. Ultimately, one of the great things about cybercrime is it it's revenue driven. You know, they want to minimize their effort and maximize their their return on that mm. effort investment within a within a business. So, if you can make it sufficiently difficult to compromise your organization or sufficiently difficult to um, to complete the ransomware objective or whatever the objective is once they're inside the organization, then they'll go elsewhere. So that's, you know, that's one of the, um, the sort of strategies we can think about. Now, there's always, and it depends which industry you're in, there are various sort of regulatory and compliance requirements that some organizations have to, to work to. Um, it's generally true that in our data, we tend to see heavily regulated industries um, less frequently compromised by, by ransomware groups, for example, than and sort of less well-regulated industries where there's less of a focus on cybersecurity. Um, and again, that comes back to that making a hostile environment. It's not necessarily about being perfect because often compliance objectives don't necessarily align with security objectives and people focus on those compliance um, objectives and, and maybe miss the point on security. Uh, but if you're looking at tactical fixes that you can, you can implement within an organization that will have a meaningful uh, impact without having to go through maybe the full... Um, cybersecurity transformation uh, life cycle that you might need to go through, uh, we would say focus on things like, um, so first of all, threat intelligence. Um, you can either purchase this, but there's lots of good threat intelligence out there that talks about issues in the, in the general sense, so understand the ransomware model, understand how threat actors are targeting businesses. The way they are targeting businesses is first of all through um, remote access solutions, so making sure that you have multi-factor authentication, on any internet accessible remote access solutions. This helps take some of the uh, the impact out of phishing attacks or other sort of credential attacks where threat actors can get hold of, of passwords for your employees. Um, but if they do, they still need to, to try and bypass that multi-factor authentication solution. So you're straight away making it harder to, to get in to an organization. Now we've seen a number of cases over the past 12 months where that, that has been done. So there's still things to think about. We've seen these sort of um, multi-factor alert fatigue type attacks where the, um, the, the request for that multi-factor authentication is repeatedly sent to an employee, maybe at nighttime, and eventually an employee will just approve that access and the threat actor can, can get in. So, so there, and there are ways around this. So we, you know, there are solutions that have sort of a challenge handshake approach so that you mm. can't just click a button on an app or, or respond to an SMS. You need to have seen a number, for example, and put that in and, and respond. Um, 
but multi-factor authentication on internet-facing services is huge. And the last one we talk about is, is sort of visibility. So getting endpoint visibility within your endpoint estates, all of your, your user workstations, all of your servers, make sure there's some kind of EDR agent on there so you can see what's going on, um, having visibility at the network layer and, and also your cloud services and bringing those all together in, in some sort of platform that gives you that single unified view. Um, so for us, it would be the, the Tejas sort of XDR platform. We bring client telemetry together there, give them that unified view. Um, and that way you have visibility across your network, um, you're, you're sort of securing your perimeter. Sorry, the last thing I want to mention on the perimeter is, is internet-facing vulnerabilities. So that's the, the other big way we've seen uh, these groups getting into uh, companies is, is exploiting proxy shell or exploiting log4j on, on certain types of systems or, or some of the vulnerabilities that came before that. So knowing your external infrastructure, uh, knowing your perimeter, knowing your vulnerabilities and patching those quickly is the, the other big one. So threat intelligence, multi-factor authentication, vulnerability management on the perimeter, and, and that internal visibility and response capability are sort of four of the major things that we would talk about um, in terms of leveling up quickly while you go through the, the wider transformation process. That's some great advice there, Rafe. And, and SecureWorks, why, why SecureWorks? There's so much competition out there. What sets SecureWorks uh, apart from everyone else? I think there's a number of things. I think it's the the experience that we've had doing this, so that kind of goes back, you know, the company's been around, I think, over 20 years now. Um, we've been uh, a managed service provider helping companies around the globe for a, a long period of time. Um, and now with the the Tejas platform, which is, you know, is the the result of, of nearly two decades of experience in, in um, bringing together telemetry from different event sources, uh, making sense out of that, that um, creating turning that, that sort of telemetry and that data into, into alerts that are sort of translated into meaningful incidents for our customers to go and investigate. I think that's that's one of the, the main things we do is funnel all that noise down, extract yeah. out that signal uh, and and let them act upon it because usually it's the in-house response team that is, is best placed to help the business, but they need to know where to look. Um, they need to know what to look at and, um, and, and then we're there to support them with a range of other services as well, whether it's red teaming, whether it's, Instant response services, um, and all of that's available through the sort of the Tejas platform. Um, so, fantastic. Well, listen, there's a lot of experience there, and uh, really, you guys really understand exactly what's going on out there. And 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 of course, um, you know, just with the knowledge that you have, understanding the landscape, you're able to act and take a lot of that noise away because you're so right in what you're saying. There's just so much noise. You know, leave it to the professionals like SecureWorks who know what they're doing. To look after those kind of things and my final question to you Rafe uh, what's the scariest thing that you've seen so far this year you mentioned the the Iranian breach that you discovered recently but you must see some really interesting things from a cybersecurity point of view what's been the scariest thing you've seen so far this year uh it's a good question so I think I mean it, some of the attacks that that spill over into into the physical space I think are, are sort of interesting and concerning um, so we have, uh, you know, obviously we had the, the Viasat attack involved in the, um, sort of Russia, Ukraine conflict, being able to, to take out a wide swathe of satellite modems, um, was quite an interesting incident. And I think some of the, and again, it doesn't necessarily get the, perhaps the, the press attention it needs, but some of the stuff that's going on in, in the Middle East, particularly in Iran, we've got these cyber attacks, there was the steel mill attacks recently. Um, there are other sort of attacks where... Uh, I think against um, sort of water purification plants in Israel, 
So some of these attacks where the infrastructure that's been targeted is, is sort of civilian, there's potentially physical impact. Um, I think these are, are interesting and, and nations are kind of exploring where the red lines and boundaries are there. Um, and, you know, that could have potentially very serious consequences. Fascinating discussion. Rafe Pilling, who is the security researcher at SecureWorks Counter Threat Unit. We thank you so much for joining us on What's Next and sharing those insights, Rafe. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great to talk to you. 